Hello everyone, before we even get into this episode, as always, I just gotta give thanks to everybody who's listening, has listened, and plans on listening more in the future. It's all much appreciated. And don't forget to go and follow me on Twitter at Critique Chill. That's where I'm gonna be making any announcements and any news known that is revele- that is relevant to this podcast. So if you're interested in any of that, be sure to check me out. But as always, the support is much appreciated. The element that made me fall in love with this movie, however, is the Easter eggs, running gags, and camp jokes that are just abundant throughout the movie. From the Don Knotts lookalike guard to the alliteration jokes and smaller stuff like the Bat Dehydrator. There's even a line that the Joker says to a bunch of scrub villains that references his A-list status. But my absolute favorite part of the Easter eggs is when Velma puts on a Robin costume and looks like a Carrie, Ke- a Carrie Kelly cosplayer. And while all these things are missed if you aren't an avid fan of Batman as a character, Batman the Brave and the Bold the TV show, and Scooby-Doo, the movie is still a lot of fun without it. And if you are a fan of either of those things and a little bit of family fun time, then it would be remiss of you to not check out this movie. It is a perfect example of a crossover done right and is one of the best animated movies that I have ever seen. Well guys, that's it for this episode of the Critique and Chill podcast. As always, it's much appreciated for those who have been listening. Don't forget to go and follow me on Twitter at Critique Chill. That's where I'm going to be keeping any announcements or any news that is relevant to this podcast so if you're interested in any of that be sure to go follow me there if not it's all just appreciated that you're even listening thank you hello everyone before we get into today's episode i just want to thank everybody who's been listening all your support is much appreciated don't forget to go and follow me on twitter at critique chill that's where i'm going to be putting up any and everything about this channel i mean this podcast first i'm i also have an instagram i also have a facebook but twitter's where you want to be at if you're going to be anywhere for this podcast also don't forget to go and check me out on itunes i'm on apple podcast critique and chill you already know be sure to subscribe and maybe leave a couple reviews to help me get my ratings up But whether you do or you don't, the fact that you're listening is much appreciated. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to and welcome back to the Critique and Chill podcast. As always, it's your boy, Cadence. And today I'm going to be going over the miniseries Titans Young Justice Graduation Day. It's a comic book. Titans Young Justice Graduation Day is a three-book miniseries that focuses on the Titans, the now grown-up teen Titans, comprised of Nightwing, Troyo, Arsenal, Argent, Cyborg, Tempest, and Omen, and Jesse Quick, even though Jesse is shoehorned in, and Young Justice, a younger, less experienced team comprised of Superboy, Robin, Empress, Wonder Girl, and Impulse. Now, before we even get into the actual review, I need to provide a little context. This story was written between May and June of 2003, which means that this story comes way, way, way before the New 52 and the Rebirth imprints. So the stuff in this book has all, for the most part, been retconned, but this is a perfect example of why, as a comic fan, I've never been a fan of of the ongoing nature of them. My favorite stories in the books will always be the story arcs or the mini-series or the one-shots because they always have the most crucial parts of the story, unlike the ongoing ones the ending. The ending of a story is like the end of anything else in the sense that you can never really appreciate something if it doesn't have one. If it just keeps going with no change, it just doesn't click, at least not to me. That's why 
I will even read ongoing comics if they go through a specific story or have a story arc. Like when Batman did Court of Vows for the New 52 or something like the upcoming War of the Flash storyline. Because even though it's part of the ongoing series, it's still going to have an end somewhere. Ongoing comics with no overarching plot bore me because they are just moving forward to keep up with the status quo. So it's up to the stories like this one I'm talking about today to be the most entertaining and in most cases they are. That's why in comics we hold up stories like The Dark Knight Returns and Civil War and Superman Red Sun because even in some cases with Civil War where they continue afterwards, there's an end in that story. They have concise and clear endings so that means that everything happening in them has to mean something because if not it's just a pointless ride to a never ending cliffhanger and not the good kind. To put it simply, life is only is only as important as we say it is because we know that it ends. And the concept that keeps us and it's this concept that keeps us on the path of doing something meaningful. Meaningful because if we didn't, life would lose whatever little bit of meaning it has left. And that is why I never care for the ongoing comics. And we'll always go back to the standalones, the story arcs, the miniseries, and the one shots of the comic book world. For the second part of context, it must be said that the writer of this book, Judd Winnick, is a man who has done many great things for the superhero comic book and has had a hand in writing some of the best stories superhero comics has to offer. But the best way to do him justice to me is to say that he was part of the DC Dream Team comprised of himself, Jeff Johns, and Greg Rucka that wrote the one-shot book that kicked off Infinite Crisis, a story that is just a staple in the DCU, in my opinion, of course. The story that spawned from Infinite Crisis would have moments that would stick all the way around, all the way to Blackest Night, DC's equivalent of Civil War in terms of quality and scope. So the boy Judd's pen game is not to be taken lightly, and Greg Graduation Day would not be what it is without him. Now to the actual series. Titans Young Justice Graduation Day is the series that will result in the disbanding of, the, of both teams and would lead to the new iteration of the Outsiders and down the line even a new variant of the Teen Titans. The story is one when is and it's about an android from the future that attacks Cyborg. The two teams have to work together to try to figure out why and where it came from and what happens afterwards leads to two of the Titans dying and both teams questioning whether or not they even want to be heroes anymore. This is always going to stand out to me as a comic book reader. This story is definitely amongst the identity crisis caliber of stories for me. And that is because much like identity crisis, albeit on a smaller scale, the story really lets you get a glimpse of how the superhero world works in the DCU. The story starts off with both the Titans and Young Justice being offered to be sponsored by huge mega corporations. There's a specific set of doctors that arrive to heal the hero's wounds that specifically know how to do so. And perhaps the coolest line to me is when Nightwing tells Robin to go and get his battle armor. And Robin's just like, cool, no questions asked, I already know what's up. It's cool to me because it hints at such a core theme for the Bat Family, even though it's not a series about them. The idea that even though they are leading two different teams, each of whom's members have extremely different values it when it comes to crime fighting, Robin and Nightwing both stay on the same page because of their history with their mentor. Another interesting aspect of this series is kind of the dichotomy that lies between Wonder Girl and Robin being on Young Justice while Nightwing and Troya are on the Titans. And while Nightwing and Robin have almost perfect sync for the aforementioned reasons, Wonder Girl struggles where Troya never has. Because of the fact that Troya is a full-on Amazon and Wonder Girl is somewhat of a discount, she struggles with feeling that she doesn't belong, which Troya just cannot relate to in terms of the superhero teams because being the first Wonder Girl, she was the original. She was even an original member of the Teen Titans, 
Young Justice is even a discount of that of that group of Teen Titans, and she's also a carbon copy of Wonder Woman. That's one of the core things about her character. So it's just cool to see Troya try to coddle Wonder Girl because it's almost like she wants to help, but she really doesn't know how to because she hasn't been through what she's been through. And she's trying to impart Amazon values on someone who is only half Amazon. Another cool little comic tidbit that is worth mentioning but not worth going into is how the story leads into outsiders at least the ones that are led by arsenal but explaining why here would only spoil it unfortunately as much as i love this series and as much as i will always go back to reading it it makes two highly egregious missteps and while i only really get them now being one of the issues i only get now as someone who's older than when I first started reading it and one of the issues only really affected me when I was younger they're still bad and they reside in the most important parts of the series the death scenes I'm going to spoil the hell out of this so if anything I have said has made you want to experience the series for yourself leave now because there's no way to talk about this without spoilers okay the first death scene is that of Lilith Clay or Lilith Jupiter who's the Titans resident psychic she is killed by a Superman robot that is released by the Android Indigo and boy oh boy does this scene do a great job of hurting you as a reader at least it did me when I was younger the panels start with the Superman robot working on Indigo however the team doesn't know that it's a Superman robot and they just assume that it's Superman and before anyone can even figure this out, Omen, aka Lilith, tries to conversate with it to figure out what's going on. The robot grabs her hand, hoists her up by her neck, and then breaks it. Omen's last alive living scene, uh, the last time we see Omen alive in that panel, is with tears in her eyes as the Titans and Young Justice team stare shocked and helpless as she is murdered. The scene is phenomenal in terms of execution, but what makes it retroactively leave a bad taste in my mouth as a big fan of Omen is everything after it. Her death scene occurs at the end of issue 2 in this 3 part series, and in issue 3 the only time we even see her is when her lifeless corpse is laid out on some debris. This was hard to deal with when I was younger, cause I love Omen. She was one of, the, of my favorite titans and she still is, and, and that's the best treatment she can get. She's one of the most pure hearted and genuine souls on the team, but she gets treated like a stock character and doesn't even get a funeral scene. She's just offhandedly mentioned as having a small service because she didn't have much family. If you ask me, the scene of her death was actually flawless, but it, it was just ruined for me for a while because of everything after it. And it just kind of left me feeling like Kaneki and Tokyo Ghoul when Rize bit into his shoulder. And I honestly still might like this book for the same reasons he kept going he kept thinking of Rize because even though I was did so wrong by the idea of it even though I was did so wrong by the the book itself the idea that it started off so great is what kept me invested the second death scene is that of Donna Troy Troya, the former Wonder Girl who I spoke about earlier, and her scene is basically a repeat of the first, but after a quick interview we're going to get into all the reasons that it is a misstep to me. into it the missteps with Donna Troy's death scene like I said is a repeat of the first one in terms of why it ruined the scene 
However, just like the first one, the scene itself was great. We get a closing set of words for her personality. She actually weakens the Superman robot enough to be killed. And the artwork in the scene creates a real deal atmosphere of being in a kind of ethereal dream battlefield, just like the one that she's in at the start of the book or the series. And while that happens afterwards in terms of her and what happens afterwards in terms of her character is actually pretty good because of the fact that she has an actual funeral panel and we get to see that A-listers care about one of the younger heroes dying. But it's the panel that immediately follows her dying, like her getting shot in the heart, that somehow manages to somewhat sexualize her dead body by putting it in a position that if you see the way the fight had transpired, it clearly just wouldn't have happened like that. And while there are arguments that could be made to counter this, and I could spend all day on this topic alone, all I'm going to say is that when you're drawing a death scene of a female character in comic books, it should be just handled with better care in general. Especially when the women in refrigerators thing has played comics for a while now. Anyway, aside from those two errors and a couple of just general missteps with other characters in the series that you could only really care about if you're a passionate fan of both the Titans and Young Justice, this is still one of the best stories in DC. And it, it's, it might well have been the top five stories by DC that is not an elseworld tale at least in my opinion and despite some issues with how some characters were handled like i said before it will always be a favorite of mine if you're looking for a good story that simultaneously has a concise ending but leads into ongoing stuff then this is definitely for you and you should go check it out despite how old it is as for the critique and chill podcast this episode is finished once again i just want to thank any and everybody who has been listening or plans on listening or has even just stuck around this far be sure to go and follow me on twitter at critique chill that's where i'll be putting up any and all news of this podcast first and that's probably just the place that you want to go to primarily yes i have an instagram yes i have a facebook but those are for people who want to do the searching if you want to get sent somewhere for my social media Go to Twitter at Critique Chill. That's when we post and stuff. Um, aside from that, be sure to go and subscribe to my podcast on iTunes. Maybe leave a couple reviews to help me out. But aside from that, just thank you. <laughs>